Sophie, if we can have the first slide. Thank you. Um, we are looking again into the prophecy of Hosea. Um, and just the focus today is going to be once again on God as judge. Um, not such a popular concept of God. We like to think of him as a loving God, a caring God, a patient God. But to think of him as a judge, um, in fact, in some quarters is, is avoided altogether. And um, uh, that is robbing God of part of his majesty. But so in the process of examining what we the real issue is my my burden is that you come to we all come to realize that god the actions that he took with his people israel he was justified in taking that he needed to do it and he was fair and righteous in what he did and so that's going to be our focus. And there's two places that we're going to be looking at particularly. Um, and one of the, <coughs> excuse me, one of them's on the map and the other isn't. Um, you know, this thing works at home. <laughs> when I bring it here, it doesn't. No. I charged the battery and everything, and I checked it at home, and I said, yep, right, it's working, good, fantastic. Okay, the first one is, is Bessel. Oops. Um, and the other one is not on the map. It's adjacent, it's, it's adjacent to Jericho, it's on the plains of Jericho, just here, a place called Gilgal. And those two places are particularly significant in the history of Israel. Um, when we're talking about history, Israel, here we're talking about the Northern Kingdom, but we will also, just to be confusing, we'll be talking about some of the early history of Israel when they first came into the Promised Land, when it was the whole nation. So to begin with, we look into the prophecy of Hosea and <coughs> the significance of these two places. Just by way of, of explanation and, and just to go back a little bit, Hosea is a fascinating prophecy. Hosea was a fascinating prophet. Hosea was in many respects a unique prophet. Prophets generally were given something to say and giving somebody to say it too. But with Hosea, the first instruction he was to give was given was to get married. And that under normal circumstances would be nice. But for him, he was to marry somebody who was going to prove to be unfaithful. She probably wasn't unfaithful when he first married her. She may have been a bit promiscuous, but probably 
not unfaithful. But as time went on, she became unfaithful. She became a prostitute. And he had many years of heartache. And ultimately, he was told to go and buy her back. And the whole purpose of God with Hosea was that he wanted through the experience of Hosea with his unfaithful wife, God wanted Israel to see the heartache that unfaithful Israel had caused him. God is a loving God. God is a patient God. God is a caring God. We have got some we can have some misconceptions about him. When we talk about God's anger, we tend to think about our own anger, which is hot and fiery and explosive, and we want to do something and we want to bang things. And, but when God is angry, his heart aches because he's angry about sin. He's angry about the damage that it causes. And he must do something about it. And that's part of the reason why God is also a judge. And so to Hosea and the focus for today. <coughs> Just two verses from Hosea and two verses from Amos. Amos was the other prophet who, prof who spoke to the northern kingdom. Hosea chapter 9 verse 15 All their evil is at Gilgal. Indeed, I came to hate them there. This is the first of those two places, Gilgal. I came to hate them there because of the weakness of, wickedness of their deeds. I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. They, all their princes are rebels. In Hosea chapter 12, verse 11, in Gilgal they sacrifice bulls. Yes, their altars are like the stone heaps beside the furrows of the field. And in Amos chapter 4, verse 4, Enter Bethel and transgress. In Gilgal, multiply transgressions. Amos chapter 5, verse 5, But do not resort to Bethel, and do not come to Gilgal, nor cross over to Beersheba, for Gilgal will certainly go into captivity and Bethel will come to trouble. So there were two places. There were other places that were special in Israel, but I want to focus on these two particularly. And they had long and significant histories. And so they're given special attention here. The places are, as we've said, Gilgal and Bethel. Firstly, Gilgal. The word means a cutting off or a rolling away, and, and we'll see the reason for that in a moment. <coughs> the children of Israel were rescued out of Egypt by God, and they were brought to the promised land, and they were to go in and possess it, and they didn't like what they saw, 
And so they refused to go in and God banished them into the wilderness for 40 years. And that generation that refused to go in was not permitted to enter and they all died in the wilderness. But another generation obviously rose up who were all born in the wilderness and for them the promised land was really the place to go. So first of all in Joshua chapter, so we go right back to the early history of the children of Israel entering the promised land and, and it's dealt with in the book of Joshua. Who Joshua was the prophet who took over after Moses. So Joshua chapter 3 verses 15 and 16, when those who carried the ark came into the Jordan and the feet of the priests carrying the ark were dipped in the edge of the water for the Jordan overflows all its banks in the day, all the days of harvest. The waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap. Now they had crossed the Red Sea when they first left Egypt and <clears throat> without belittling the Red Sea, it was a static body of water. It's just sitting there. And so you can divide it and there's a space through the middle. Now, those of us who are still watching the news, although I'm starting to get tired of it, I must tell, um, the amount of floods that we've had recently and the, the energy that there is in a flooded river. And this was the Jordan. It was springtime. It was um, running at full flood. And to stop that flow of water, the water's still coming from above. So it's still building up and building up and building up and building up. So that parting of the, of the Jordan was a miraculous action that God took. As soon as the, the priests stepped into the river, the water flowed, the water stopped. <clears throat> and then we carry on in Joshua in chapter 4. And Joshua speaking to the to the people as they're coming through the river and he says take up for yourselves 12 stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm and carry them over with you and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So each of those 12 men took a stone out of the river and they took it up and they made a cairn of stones on the bank of the river where they were to lodge that night. <coughs> and <coughs> Joshua said to them in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 4, When your children ask later, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, Because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial 
to the sons of Israel forever. So the children of Israel are supposed to bring their children successive generations and show them the place where God brought them into the promised land, where he miraculously parted the river and allowed them these thousands of people to walk through on dry land. <clears throat> also these, um, so that's the first significant thing about Gilgal. And then um, the, that generation that grew up in the wilderness, they, God had instructed through Abraham that the mark of circumcision marked out the Jewish people. But those who were born in the wilderness were not circumcised during as they normally they would be circumcised on the eighth day so progressively over time all of them would have been circumcised but none of them were and so they were instructed or Joshua was instructed to circumcise all of that generation in the promised land and then God said to him then the Lord said to Joshua, chapter 5, verse 9 of Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Now in my note, I've done this in bold. Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. What a miraculous thing. They have come through the wilderness. They have come through the river. They are in the promised land. And God has rolled away the reproach of Egypt from them. This place should be special. And then... In chapter 5, in verses 10 and 11, while the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month on the desert plains of Jericho. They had not observed the Passover in the wilderness either. And so now that they're in the promised land, they're in the place that God had prepared for them and promised for them and they celebrate the Passover there for the first time. And on the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land. As they came through the, through the wilderness, they were fed with the manna from heaven. They came into the promised land. They celebrated the Passover on the very next day. The manna stopped and they enjoyed the produce of the land. They had arrived. What a place this was that they had arrived into. And then 
one other thing in 1 Samuel chapter 11, verses 14 and 15, the, the, the children of Israel wanted a king and Samuel was pretty unhappy about that, but God said, do it anyway. And so they chose out Saul, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in Israel. And then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. So now they've crowned a king there as well. They crossed the, red, they crossed the river, they made a, a, a cairn of stones, they were circumcised, they celebrated the Passover, they ate the produce of the land. All these things made Gilgal significant to the children of Israel. It should be a place that they at least reverenced. But what does the scripture say? We read the first verse we read, Hosea chapter 9 verse 15. All their evil is at Gilgal. Indeed, I came to hate them there. Because of the wickedness of their deeds, I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are rebels. So they haven't respected Gilgal. Now, the other place that we were highlighting is Bethel. Beth, house, El. God, Bethel, house of God. The history of Bethel goes back even further than Gilgal because we go right back to Genesis chapter 12. And there Abraham, when he was called out of Ur of the Chaldees, when he came from Haram, when he was led into the land that his offspring were going to occupy, going to have as their own. There he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord and that was adjacent to Bethel. Now his grandson, Jacob, led a pretty cheeked life and on one occasion he was running away from his brother Esau who he had played a trick on to get the birthright. And he had a dream, and this will be familiar to you. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of the Lord were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the land on which you lie I will give it to you and to your descendants. So the promise that was made to Abraham and to Isaac was confirmed to Jacob there. 
And what was Jacob's reaction? Verses 16 and 17 of chapter 20, of Genesis 28. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And then a little later in, in Jacob's journey, in chapter 35, verses 1 and 3, God speaks to him again and he says, God said to Jacob, Arise to go to, go to Bethel and live there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau, when you saw the ladder up to heaven. Go back to Bethel and live there. And verses 9 and 10 of Genesis 35. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram, and he blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Verses 14 and 15 of the same chapter. Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, with God, a pillar of stone. And he poured out a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. So Jacob named the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. So what's the significance of Bethel? Abraham journeyed there. It was his first destination in the promised land. There Jacob had two encounters with God. And there his name was changed to Prince with God. So what should be their reaction? What should be the attitude of the children of Israel to Bethel? Should that not be a special place? Should not that not be spoken of in hushed terms? But Hosea chapter 10 verse 5, Hosea under the influence, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit makes a dramatic change here. The inhabitants of Samaria will fear for the calf of Ben Avon. Indeed, its people will mourn for it, and its adulterous priests will cry out over it, over its glory, since it has departed from it. Now, <clears throat> when that northern kingdom was first set up, when Jeroboam, its first king, um, was setting up the country. They, they had separated from Judah. They had separated from Rehoboam, the king, the son of Solomon, and they had gone on their own. And Jeroboam set up two golden calves, one at, one at Bethel and the other one at Dan, right in the top of the country. Now that was obviously in complete 
defiance of God's word because we're not to have any graven images and as only Israel is a place, not only Jerusalem is the place where they were to worship. But under the influence and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Hosea changes the name of Bethel to Bethavim. We know it's that because it talks about the calf. There's a calf there. So it either has to be Dan or Bethel. And in this case it's Bethel. And so it's the calf of Ben, of ben Avon. Beth is house. Avon is nothing. Avon means nothing. The house of God has become the house of nothing. That thus, Hosea chapter 10 verse 15, thus it will be done to you at Bethel because of your great wickedness. At dawn the king of Israel will be cut off. At the very place where the name Israel was given was the place where they were defeated, driven out and exiled. And it's significant that this northern kingdom chose for themselves the name Israel. And that should have made Bethel very special to them. But they turned it into a house of nothing. And so Israel was banished out of the promised land. They went into captivity in Assyria and they never returned. When Judah was taken into captivity in Babylon, they did return. After 70 years, they returned to the promised land. But Israel did not return. And the scripture says that they became wanderers among the nations. So God judged them. God dealt with their sin, their adultery, their waywardness, their refusal to obey his word, their chasing after other gods. How strange it is that when you read through the scriptures, you find everywhere that Israel went, they embraced the gods of the people that they were living amongst. But the people they were living amongst never embraced their God. They were supposed to show God to the world. And it was a complete opposite. So God as a judge. What is the lesson here for us? Just a couple of verses from Psalms to start to begin. 
Psalm 50 verse 6. And the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Selah. Selah means stop and think. Pause and consider. Pause and consider the fact that God is righteous, that God himself, he and no other, is judge. And then in, in Psalm 9, verses 7 and 8, Psalm 9, 7 and 8. But the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment and he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. Now we've been talking about God judging Israel because of their sin. But here we see that he will judge the world in righteousness. Every single person who has ever lived, who has ever walked the face of this earth, will stand before God as judge, with him as judge. There is a judgment seat of Christ not something for Christians to fear because there it, the thought is of giving blessing where it is due. But there is also the great white throne where all those who have refused God's offer of salvation will be judged. And the scripture says that they will be judged out of what's written in the books. And then another book will be opened, which is the Lamb's Book of Life. And those who were not written in the Lamb's Book of Life were cast into the lake of fire. There is a lake of fire. And they, those who go there, go there for one reason and for one reason only, and that is they spurned God's beloved Son. Rejecting Christ is the unforgivable sin. So how I have to deal with this from both sides. I'm not saying this because I think there's somebody here who needs who is under God's judgment in that way. I don't know. But I have to present both sides. So God's judgment, how's it going to affect you? It will affect you one of two ways. <clears throat> Firstly, in Romans chapter 8, verse 3. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So for all who have trusted in the Lord Jesus and made him their saviour, he has taken their sin upon himself and God has already judged it. It's dealt with. 
It's gone. It's judged. Or, in John chapter 3, verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. So that's the, the verse we've just looked at. In Christ, not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. It's not that there is a condemnation in the future. For those who reject Christ, they are under condemnation now because they have rejected him. But that condemnation will be gone the moment they step up and accept the Saviour. So you must choose how you will meet God. You will meet him, we will all meet him, we don't have any choice. You must choose how you will meet him. You will either meet him as a loving Heavenly Father or you will meet him as a righteous judge. The choice is yours.